Hello, and welcome to the Brutally Honest Books podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gerrand, and I'll be giving you my honest thoughts on the books I read. While the reviews will be short and to the point, they'll include everything you want to know without any spoilers to help you figure out what you should read next. So with that said, let's jump right in. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another book review for our month of Adaptation August. If you are new here, which the chances are pretty high because we had a very big influx of new followers over on TikTok, let me just very quickly explain that every single month has a monthly theme. Thus, the theme for August is Adaptation August. So we are talking about books that have been or are in the process of being turned into TV shows. So not only is that the monthly theme here on the podcast, which is going to be the books that I'm reviewing and talking about, but it's also the monthly theme that extends to the Brutally Honest book club. So we are reading a book in book club that also falls under that theme, and it does kind of inform the content that I put out on social media that month. So again, if you are new here and you found the podcast via TikTok, then it kind of makes August content make a lot of sense, right? So I've been sharing some stuff that is related to books that have been or are going to be or that already were turned into TV shows. So as you can see from the title of this episode, today is a book review. And one other thing, if you are new here every single week, the episodes do alternate. So I start the month with a book review and then I do an interview, then I do another book review, and then we end it with a classics and cocktails. And that is essentially kind of like a drunk history version of a classic work of literature. Not the exact same. I'm not getting as wasted, just a little bit tipsy, but that is the best way that I can think just to describe it. And I always create a cocktail recipe inspired by that classic work of literature. So if you are new to the podcast, you are now caught up. So let's jump into the book review. As you can see from the title of this episode, the book I'm talking about today is Lessons in Chemistry. A lot of you are probably already familiar with this work, if not have read it yourself, just because it is a very popular book. It is both a Sunday Times bestseller as well as a New York Times bestseller, and even on an international level, I believe. And it was just published in 2022 and written by Bonnie Garmus. I could be mispronouncing her name, but that is how I believe it is pronounced. And this novel looks pretty short at first glance, but it's actually almost 400 pages. So you are getting quite a bit of book for what you're paying for. But to jump into the review itself, let's talk about what I liked, what I disliked, who I think this is good for, and finally ending with my star rating. So just to kind of set the stage, I was very hesitant to read this because if you are somebody who has been listening to the podcast for a while or you know me in real life, you do know that I do not read romance novels very often. And because this book was so popular, it was really making the rounds on Bookstagram and on BookTok with a lot of other book reviewers talking about it pretty regularly. And the things that I was seeing weren't too in-depth because I knew that I wanted to read it. So I kind of like restrained myself and didn't let myself watch, you know, full videos and things like that. So this is already coming from a place of ignorance. I'm acknowledging that. But what I was seeing was people saying that it is very topical, very cliche. Yes, it's light and fun, but it's a very cliche romance novel. So 
I was interested to read it because it is being turned into a Apple TV TV show and it's going to star Brie Larson as the protagonist. So I was very, very curious because I'm like, okay, it has to at least be halfway decent. And I was kind of interested, I guess, in the premise, mainly just picked it up because of its popularity and how well it fit the monthly theme. So I had a little bit of trepidation, but this did end up surpassing my expectations and ultimately just ended up being very different from what I expected. So this just goes to show don't always trust book reviewers. And I say that about myself all the time, take everything I say with a grain of salt. And I often encourage you guys to still pick up these books yourselves, even if it's a book that I absolutely hated or just, you know, again, it's something that I don't recommend. I do encourage you guys to pick it up if it sounds like something interesting to you, or if you're just curious and formulate your own thoughts and opinions, because this is a perfect example of just how it goes to show that different people can have very different thoughts and opinions on a book. And this also goes to show that you should not judge a book by its cover because the covers for this book are not great, to be frank. I think that, I think I have the UK cover just because I live in Europe. I think that's often the covers that I have. So the cover that I have is okay. It's nothing to write home about. I wouldn't buy it based on the cover, but it's pretty decent. It's pretty good. And I believe it's the US cover that is pretty atrocious. It's pretty bad. I think it really cheapens the story and cheapens the book. But again, don't judge a book by its cover. So don't let that put you off if it's something that also you're not crazy about. But let's get into the content of the book because that's why you're here. So again, I was expecting something very hokey, very cliche, and I did not find that to be the case. I think some people might get that impression because it is set in the 50s, I believe, which actually is a great segue. Let me just very quickly read you the synopsis so we are all on the same page. So chemist Elizabeth Zott is not your average woman. In fact, Elizabeth Zott would be the first to point out that there's no such thing. But it's the early 1960s and her all-male team at Hastings Research Institute take a very unscientific view of equality. Forced to resign, she reluctantly signs on as the host of a cooking show, Supper at Six. But her revolutionary approach to cooking, fueled by a scientific and rational commentary, grabs the attention of a nation. And soon, a legion of overlooked housewives find themselves daring to change the status quo, one molecule at a time. So again, I don't make a great case for this not being cliche just based on that description because it is like a 1960s housewife who goes on a cooking show and, you know, inspires all of these other housewives, right? So I think, again, the reason that other book reviewers or people think that it might be a little bit cliche is just because the era that it's set in. But again, that was also the reality of the 1960s, right? Like that was very much the culture, the reality, what was going on. So I don't think that you can fault this book for being historically accurate. But where I will agree that it was potentially kind of cliche or topical is in, I guess, its feminist approach or message. It is, yeah, I guess it is just kind of cliche in that way, where when I tell you it's a feminist novel and you read that summary, you can already kind of see where it's going, right? Where women are undervalued in the workplace and encounter a lot of sexism and a lot of these, you know, cliche 1960s remarks from men, like, you know, also being called honey and sweetie and not being allowed to wear pants and things like that. Like, these are all things that are very well known. So I think in that way, it does seem cliche. But at the same time, this is not a book that is trying to be like a 
revolutionary, you know, feminist book on intersectionality, right? Like it is telling you what it is up front. And I think it does deliver on that. And I don't think that that's something then that you can fault it for, for not going deeper, because that's just not the type of book that it is. And I'm kind of jumping the gun a bit, but it is relevant to piggybacking onto that point, which is this book actually reminded me a lot of the marvelous Miss Mizell. Or is it Mrs. Mizell? I don't know. I don't remember, but you guys know what show I'm talking about. So this book reminds me a lot of that TV show. It's set in the exact same time period. It revolves around a female protagonist who is trying to kind of break the glass ceiling and potentially inspire other females. And it does revolve around that kind of like struggle or duality with career and home life and things like that. And it does have the same humor, the same very fast paced, quippy dialogue. So there are many, many parallels that I see. And this is something that I say for the end of the episode, which is telling you who I think this book would be good for. So I do think this book is perfect for those of you who really enjoy that TV show. And it's also very similar in terms of how much romance is involved in the novel. So again, this is something that was really being marketed as a romance novel, a love story. So that's also what kind of added to my hesitation slash trepidation for reading this book, just because I am not a big romance reader. I often find it to always be very hokey. It's very rare if I like can get on board. And then oftentimes it ends up being too pretentious if it's like too highbrow, too lofty. And I feel like it's very hard to find stuff in the middle ground. So this reminded me a lot of Mrs. Mizell in the sense that it also has the same amount of romantic content. So the marvelous Mrs. Mizell, again, I don't know if it's Miss or Mrs., but just roll with me. So that has a somewhat small amount of romance. It is something that is just a background plot to enhance plot A, the main plot, which is her career and her becoming a comedian. Kind of the same thing with this novel. It is probably just as prevalent, or I guess you could say non-prevalent as Mrs. Mizell. Like it is, you know, again, a background factor that is driving the main plot point, but it is not the main focus of the novel. The main focus of the novel is again her and her career, as well as the idea of family, career you know, what family even means and family history, things like that. Those all come into play. Thus, this was a book that I never knew where it was going, right? Because again, I was also expecting a romance novel and that is how the book starts out. So she does meet Calvin Evans, who she falls in love with. Again, this is a spoiler-free podcast, so I'm not going to tell you what exactly happens, but again, the romance becomes plot B. And I think starting out so strong with the romance where they immediately fall in love, I'm like, okay, well then where is it going to go from here, right? Because if it was a romance novel, we would be building to that and that would be the climax or something would happen to their relationship and that would be the climax. And something does happen to their relationship, but again, not in a romantic sense. And something else I wasn't expecting from this novel that was present was the amount of emotion, specifically dealing with grief and things like that. I definitely wasn't expecting that, which again, isn't a surprise because I didn't know where the novel was going, but it was a very welcome surprise. And it is that fact combined with the fact that this novel also has a lot of, I think what you can call like invisible strings where like different characters end up being connected in like bigger ways. And it all kind of comes together where it's like, oh, that's how 
this person connects to them and it's very cool to see it all unfold near the end of the novel. And so because of that, combined with kind of the emotion or depth of emotion and grief and things, that actually reminded me a lot of Frederick Bachman's books. And if that is ringing a bell, then you might know him as the author who wrote A Man Called Uva, which was adapted into a movie called A Man Called Otto in the US. He's a Swedish author who has written a lot of very, very, very popular books because they are on the surface, very light and kind of topical, but they do deal with the topics of just human relationships. And they do end up being surprisingly very emotional, very heartwarming. And they are books that I do wholeheartedly recommend. And so this book also reminded me a lot of Frederick Bachman's books. So if you've worked your way through his repertoire of books, then this is definitely one that you should also check out. And as we are still on the topic of things that I really liked about this book, I do have to give the author a lot of credit because there was a lot of scientific terminology and things like that. And I was very impressed where I was like, okay, either she has a scientific background or really did a great job with her research because it does go beyond what the average person knows and added to the believability of our protagonist because she is a scientist. She is, you know, somebody who would be dropping this terminology and things like that. But since we are on the topic of the protagonist, this is something that is just a purely neutral point. Actually, this is something that I actually enjoyed. So I found the protagonist as somebody who is definitely on the spectrum. And I have not done any research on this point. So again, take everything I'm saying with somewhat of a grain of salt or a word of caution. This could be something that the author has openly discussed. This could be something that other book reviewers have discussed. I have no clue. This is coming purely from my own observation at this point. And the reason I just haven't researched it, which I guess I could, and I probably should have, but I like to approach these reviews without looking at what other people are saying, just to have the most pure or unbiased opinion as possible. So again, if you want to look into this, feel free. I will probably look into this after this review. But as I was saying, Elizabeth Zott really comes across as a character that is on the spectrum. And it didn't come across like that was the author's intention but kind of just like a side effect. At the same time, it seems so obvious that it's like, how was that not your intention? I think Bonnie Garmus, the author, was just so focused on writing such a quirky, upfront, scientific character that I don't know if she realized uh, how good of a job she did and how much it just veered towards something like that. And the reason that this is something that I like about the novel is because I don't think that an autistic protagonist is something that is very common, especially one that is also pretty aspirational for readers and potentially, you know, female readers or younger readers, just because she is such a successful chemist. She is such a strong character. She knows what she wants. She fights for what's right, both for herself or potentially for other people. And she is just a very strong female lead, who is also somebody who we find out is very attractive and and does have a lot of these very positive qualities. She's also not, though, so unrealistic that it's like, okay, like, that's just not real, right? Like a pretty blonde who just is successful at everything she does, right? Like she is very, very realistic at the same time, 
But again, just a very strong aspirational protagonist. And I think that that's very cool that you could have somebody who reads like they are on the spectrum as being the aspirational protagonist. Because again, I just don't think that's something that we encounter a lot. So now getting into potential dislikes, I can really only think of one that comes to the forefront of my mind, which is the fact that Elizabeth ends up with a dog and the dog's name is 630, I believe. Yeah, it's 630. And you know, a very quirky, unconventional name for the dog. There's a reason why that's the dog's name. That's all very cute. That's fine. But what Bonnie Garmus does do, and I think this is going to really divide readers, is she really anthropomorphizes the dog. So the dog, like we actually get the dog's like thoughts and things like that throughout the novel. And it's like very, very intelligent, like unrealistically intelligent. Let's put it that way. Because Elizabeth you know, as a scientist, and she kind of takes it upon herself to teach the dog words. So the dog ends up being able to understand close to like 500 words. And the dog essentially just really has like a human level of consciousness. The thing is, I'm the first person to say how intelligent animals are. I talk about my cat all the time. I'm like, I trained her in like a day or two to not scratch our leather couches and chairs because I'm like, she's smart. She gets what I'm saying. Like she gets it. Okay. And I grew up with dogs all my life. So I am the first person to say how intelligent animals actually are and how much they actually understand. And people think, I think they're just a little bit dumber than they are. They're just like not getting things. So I'm the first person to say that. And I even talk about how intelligent birds are all the time. The fact that they have the intelligence of like small children, that's something I could go on and on about. Okay. But there is something about this dog that it is too intelligent, okay? It is too intelligent to be believable, too intelligent for its own good. And I understand the choice is to add to this quirkiness of the novel, the cuteness of the novel, to add to that Amy Sherman Palladino, Mrs. Mizell quirkiness that we have going on. I understand that. It still just to me fell out of place because there is some emotional depth going on at the same time that deals with some very big emotions with grief, both from Elizabeth Zott's perspective and emotions, as well as a child's perspective and emotions. Like there's, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of things related to Calvin Evans and his past growing up. Same thing with Elizabeth Zott. So both Calvin and Elizabeth, they have very heavy backgrounds in regards to their family. So it does feel on one hand, you could say, well, it's lightening the plot a bit, adding a little bit of that cuteness or whatever. But to me, it just felt incongruous and it just felt like they don't go together. And it just, to me, kind of undercut what was being done with the story. And basically, I just didn't like it. That's that's the short version of what I'm trying to say. I didn't like it. But that is really the only main thing that I disliked about this novel I don't think that it's something to write home about where you're like, wow, like you're going to really post about this on social media and it's something that really knocked your socks off. For some people, I can see that it might do that. And I'm just not one of those readers. So for me, this is a book that was really entertaining, really enjoyable. I'm really glad that I read it. I think this is a book that's great to take like on vacation or something like that. I don't think that it's a book that I'm like, telling all of you, you have to go out and read it, right? I am also very excited for the TV show though, because I am 
very excited to see that being adapted. And I want to see the visuals associated with this novel. I think it's really fun to see TV shows like Mrs. Mizell or even the new Apple TV show, Hello Tomorrow. If you don't know what that is, I strongly suggest you go watch the trailer for that. I feel like this novel exists in a very similar aesthetic universe. So I'm very excited for this to be adapted. And again, it was something I'm really glad that I read, was very enjoyable. So you really can't go wrong with this book. Again, this is perfect or most ideal for people who like The Marvelous Miss Maisel Show. Or if you have watched The Hello Tomorrow, again, I'm getting very similar vibes. Haven't watched that show yet, but I am getting a similar impression. Maybe just minus whatever suspense or mystery is attached to Hello Tomorrow, right? But getting similar vibes. Great for Frederick Bachman readers, as I said. So if this sounds up your alley, then absolutely pick it up. Absolutely give it a read. Or if you're somebody who prefers to watch the adaptations, then just stay tuned for the Apple TV show. I believe it comes out in October. So with that, that brings me to my star rating. It is always one through five. And if you are curious how I break it down, if you're one of those people that needs like a definitive breakdown, then you can find my star rating on Instagram at Brutally Honest Books. It's in a highlight. I've also posted it on TikTok, but you would have to kind of scroll back and find it, but it is in a highlight on Instagram. So looking at my rating guide myself, I think I'm going to surprise myself. I'm stuck between a three and a half and a four. I feel like three and a half just sounds too harsh. And this is a hill I will die on. It's something I talk about very frequently on the podcast that a three star is not a bad rating. It just perfectly matched my expectations and what it set out to do and just kind of did that. Didn't go above and beyond that though. Four is when it goes above and beyond that. And it's something that I would go out of my way to recommend to somebody or buy for them. I would maybe do that with this book if I needed a gift for somebody and I know that it fits their taste. So for example, this is a book that I would actually probably buy for my grandma. I think she would really enjoy it and a couple other people I know. So in those certain instances, it does fit the four-star rating. I think I might go with three and a half, but I did want to mention all of that just so you guys are clear on what I mean by three and a half, right? So it sounds worse than it is. It leans really, it really leans towards the four side. If you're an optimist, if you're if you're a glass half full person, just round it up to four. If you're a glass half empty person, just say three and a half. And that's where we'll leave it. But before we go, I do want to just plug socials and things like that. Again, there was a very big influx of followers and things like that over on TikTok. So if you are already following there, you are fine. If you aren't, it is Brutally Honest Books on TikTok. It is also Brutally Honest Books on Instagram, as I mentioned. And if you want to get in on the book club, all you have to do is follow Brutally Honest Book Club on Instagram. It is a private account, but all you have to do is hit the follow button and you're automatically accepted and you're in the book club. The reason it is private is to one, add to a smaller, more intimate community club-like feel, but it is also because they give you guys exclusive content. So for example, every single month I listen to an audiobook on Audible has nothing to do with the podcast, has nothing to do with the book club. It's just something that I do for fun that I find enjoyable. So I share a snippet on all of the main channels, both on Instagram and on TikTok. But if you are in the book club, I actually share a second 
snippet just for you guys, right? I also moved the books that celebrities read that they say are their favorite books. That content is also exclusive to book club members. There's iPhone wallpapers. There's just all sorts of exclusive content that you only get if you are in the book club. So if that sounds like something you are interested in, you can join at any time. Last thing I will mention is you are also not obligated to read what we are reading. If there's ever a month that you are just not vibing with the book, you're not vibing with the theme, or you're just simply too busy and don't have the time, you don't have to read it. Again, you're not obligated. You can just jump in whenever you feel like it, whenever you have the time. And if you're not reading a book that month, you can still vote on what we read. You can still interact with the content. It's not something that like is going to be noticed or you're judged for in any capacity. And as always, the biggest way to support me and what I do is to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That makes the biggest difference. So if you haven't done that, that would be so, so appreciated, but only if that's how you actually feel. And stay tuned for next week's episode, because again, we will be ending the month with a classics and cocktails episode. If you haven't seen already, I am going to be talking about The Handmaid's Tale, which is a classic work of literature by Margaret Atwood that has been adapted into the hit TV series. I believe it is on Hulu, but it is one that is very big and very popular and I thought was very fitting for our month of adaptation August. So with that, I will talk to you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Brutally Honest Books podcast. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. If you like the show, you can rate and review on iTunes, and be sure to follow along on Instagram at Brutally Honest Books.